What is up, people? I look, I am in such, like, I'm in the highest of spirits, the highest of vibe, the best of moods. Not only because I now have a mic stand in my room, which means the microphone's not sitting on the table. I actually feel like I'm, like, a professional. I'm geeked out over this setup. Like, I think it's so dope. I don't know, like, every, all, every kid grows up and wants to be an NFL quarterback, and, like, when they get that big football, like, they're so excited because they feel like a pro, and that's literally how I feel with this microphone right now. Like, y'all have no idea. As always, I'm your host, Brett Hammer. This is the Trophy Room, Trophy Room Radio, whatever you want to call it. I don't even feel like I need to do an intro because I have two words for you. Two words for you if you're an Alabama fan, two words for you if you're a Michigan fan, two words for you if you thought at the end of that Alabama game, yeah, the dogs are overrated. Go dogs. Yeah, just let that sink in just for like a little bit. Or maybe the next eight months, however you feel the need to compromise. Go dogs, go dogs, go dogs. It, it feels pretty good to be a Georgia sports fan because I feel like we're usually the butt of every single joke right like every single year the atlanta any georgia <coughs> promise is not covid every time any georgia sports fan decides they want to excel and play decent every single time what happens you got tom brady 28 to 3 why don't we just choke in the super bowl when we had the best run game in the league tevin coleman Devontae freeman yes i'm still mad about it even though i'm not the biggest falcons fan in the world i root as a georgia sports fan but let me tell you what, I, I know that the Hawks suck, and we'll get to them in a second, just for a little bit, because there's some Ben Simmons talk about going to Atlanta Hawks, and there's more news that dropped from Rich Paul, his agent, about all of that today. But again, need I say more? Go dogs, go dogs, go dogs. Okay, here's the deal. This is where we're headed today. We obviously have the playoffs coming up on Saturday. Today's Thursday. You listen to this on Thursday or maybe on a Friday. I understand it's been a hot second, but you have to understand, like, I'm so high on this. Like, I'm so happy about how we finished out the season by winning double digits against Alabama. Like, again, we'll get into it in a second. We have playoffs this weekend. We have wild card weekend. We have John Morant, like, people saying got Kendrick Perkins out here saying that John Morant has the ceiling of Michael Jordan. We have everyone and their sister getting fired in the NFL. Thank goodness. Joe judge is out. And, uh, we got a lot today. Okay. So first things first, obviously this is where we have to go because go dogs. Like, I'm just like, that's going to be, you know how people, uh, people from Philly, they use the word John. If you don't know this, people from Philly, they use the word John, and it's kind of just a filler word. Like, they say the word John inter- intermittently throughout sentences, and everybody just knows the verb, the word, whatever is supposed to spit in that spot. It's the word John. Um, so, I might just say, like, frequently throughout the show today, and if it gets obnoxious, I'm not even going to apologize for it. Like, I'm not sorry that you feel that way. Go dogs. Will Campbell, I'm calling you out, buddy. Go dogs. Can we start off with this, though? Like, go dogs, first of all. 
we all thought we saw like sports movie of the decade when we watched American Underdog with Kurt Warner. And I can't remember if I talked about that movie on here or not, but it's an, it's an, a phenomenal movie. Amazing movie. If you haven't seen American Underdog, go see it. It'll make you cry. Don't expect like a full football movie for two and a half hours. It's a movie about real life. It's a movie about a family, about a guy who plays football. It's not a football movie. It's a movie about a guy who plays football. Um, we thought we saw we thought we saw a story that you couldn't make up. But can you like, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. Okay, so if you don't know, like, let's do a little history lesson real quick. Let me take you back. So, 2017, Curry Smart's second year at Georgia. He got there, left Bama in 2015, 2016, 2017. Might have been his third year. Second or third year at Georgia. Really good recruiting class. They have uh, Jake from. They have Sony Michelle. They have Nick Chubb. They have a bunch of boys. A bunch of really, really good ball players, all in the same squad. And they go into the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. And this was the year that Baker Mayfield won the Heisman Trophy. And Baker Mayfield. Which is weird. We don't really think of him now this way. But he was actually pretty athletic in college. Like, he definitely added a backhanded element where you weren't necessarily going to spy him. But he was sneaky quick. And he would he would basically break down coverage. Because if you didn't spy him, he was usually going to pick up three or four yards. Because he was just like he was just an athlete. He was a hard body. And as Georgia was getting ready for this game against Oklahoma... Who did they have play scout team quarterback for Baker Mayfield? And that was Stetson Bennett. And after this, they win the national, they go to the national championship, lose to Alabama, rip, and Stetson leaves and goes plays at JUCO because they told him, we don't want you. Imagine that. This school tells you they don't want you. The school you dream of going to your whole life, you're barely a three star recruit. You're five nine, a buck fifty, sopping wet, and you come back to that same school when they have like an elite defense. We knew Georgia had an elite defense like three games into the season. What we didn't know was who was going to be the quarterback. We thought it was going to be JT because Stetson kind of shot himself in the foot last season. And every single week we're wondering when's JT coming back. When's JT coming back? There was, like, I will be the first one to say, and yes, I'm still getting the temporary tattoo of Stetson Bennett. I I think I dropped that on here, but if not, that's still happening. But even I, and y'all know this, was not any kind of believer in Stetson Bennett whatsoever. I said, yes, it's a nice kid, but, like, if you, to me, I saw it like Rudy. If you look at Joe, like, if you, like, read that interview with Joe Montana, like, to them, Rudy was kind of a joke. Like, it was a nice PR stunt, but that was about it. I felt the same way about Stetson Bennett. And heaven knows that I was absolutely god-awful wrong. I was so wrong. And and I'm, I'm starting to learn later on, not later on in life, I'm 23. But, like, the older I get, the more years I obtain, I'm realizing... Honestly, life is just so much easier when you can admit to yourself that you're wrong. Like, I was on a date with a girl yesterday, and she had lash extensions and, like, these really long pink nails. And I honestly expected her to be dumber than a bag of rocks and have, like, 
no passion in life. And I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong about it. And you know what, people, just as a PSA, it actually doesn't hurt to be wrong. Like, it it doesn't hurt your self-esteem. It doesn't take your right credibility. Like, sometimes you're just wrong, and that's okay. And I was wrong about Stetson Bennett. Absolutely, 2,000%, without a doubt, I was wrong. Because he went from being a guy that I didn't believe in, fans didn't believe in, college football fans didn't believe in. He proved every single one of us wrong and went on to win a national championship. And, like, let's be honest. What more can you ask from a kid? Especially one that nobody believed in. Like, he did absolutely... And it, it still blows my mind. It's absolutely bonkers. Because this would never happen at Alabama. Stetson Bennett would never have started. And, and frankly, he made a lot of mistakes throughout the season in games he didn't need to make mistakes. But the reason, this is the reason they won. There's a lot of reasons Georgia beat Alabama. And just in case you forgot, yes, Alabama, you lost. Nick Saban, you're a sore loser. Every single one of you that's an Alabama fan, like I don't even care if this makes you turn off the pod right now. You're a sore loser. You're a bad loser. You don't know how to say anything other than, well, we've been winning the last 40 years or we have seven national championships with Nick Saban. Like, those are the only words you know how. Like, that's your typical response. How about you learn two other facts about college football besides how many national championships Nick Saban has won? Exactly, you don't, so shut up. Stetson Bennett threw zero interceptions. And one. And I said a couple of things going into this game Georgia had to do if they were going to win. They had to A, get to Bryce Young. B, if possible, you got to pick the ball off. And C, Stetson Bennett cannot do this thing where he overcompensates for them losing by making big plays that are unnecessary. He didn't do that. The one ball downfield to George Pickens was wide open. And the one to Adonai Mitchell in the back of the end zone in the fourth quarter was warranted because Will Anderson jumped off sides. Stetson did everything he was supposed to. Threw over 224 yards and two touchdowns. And then what was the other thing Georgia did? They got back to the run game. Now, this, according to the box score... They ended up with 30 yards, but that's because they're asserting that Bryce Young came up with negative 43 because of like all of the sacks in garbage time. I'm not going to count those, but this is what the defense did do. They contained Bryce Young, and they got to him. They put a hand on him almost every play. If you didn't watch the game, it was phenomenal. I've already gone back and watched it twice because it's on ESPNU all the time. They did everything. They played every facet of the game. They didn't give up big special teams plays. They didn't turn the ball over. That fumble at the end, that would that was a huge turning point, that fumble from Stetson Bennett, because we didn't know what Stetson was going to look like afterwards because usually after his first turnover is usually when, comes the, was usually when the other shoe drops. It's usually when he overcompensates and makes a massive mistake. They didn't do that. And he deserves all the credit for it. Let's go to the other side of the argument. Let's look at Alabama. So if you're Alabama, you might be thinking a couple of things. You might think, well, we had lots of injuries. Okay. Let me be real with you. Lad McConkey, who played a, a, almost every snap as far as receiver set, even though he only caught one pass, he was out there for every single play. 
Yeah, Georgia was out. George Pickens, their number one receiver, had one catch because he had a torn ACL. And Arian Smith, who's their other big-time receiver, also was out with an ACL. And Georgia's best pass rusher, Adam Anderson, was out. Like, you lose guys. It's next-man-up mentality. Everybody has injuries. Not everybody uses them as excuses, which Alabama did. I get that you need John Will- John Mechie and Jameson Williams. But championship teams win without those guys. Win in spite of those guys. Because why? Because it's a next-man-up mentality. Now. Let me give credit where credit is due. Because now the narrative for everyone wants to be, okay, well, well Bryce Young was absolutely, he was nothing without without John Mechie and Jameson Williams. He threw two picks. Okay, let me explain something to you. Georgia absolutely shut down the run game. Yes, Brian Robinson had 70 yards, but that was on 22 carries. He averaged three yards per carry. Okay, so the run game was going nowhere. So what do they do? They do what Bryce Young offense typically does. Bryce Young threw for 57 attempts and 370 yards. And two of them were interceptions, yes. But both of those came after a John Mechie, Jamison Williams injury. And, you, and, and you're going to say, well, you just said not to talk about injuries. But to me, it's not the injury that's the problem. It's not the lack of talent that's the problem. It's the lack of playing time that's the problem. And so, again, a huge part of getting into the playoff is when you lose. A huge part of winning the playoff is when your injuries come. Georgia's benefit, to some extent, was that they knew what their injuries were going into the game. Alabama's issue was they had that injury the game prior, two games prior, and then this one. So... Again, this is the real world. Welcome to being a grown-up. Sometimes things just happen. What's what's the expression? Happens. It happened. And I got to tell you, there is some part of me that almost wondered if God said, okay, we're just done with Alabama winning every national championship. I'm going to step in here. And he gave him a little tweak. Bryce Young, for everyone who wants to hate, I get that he had a bad game. But he still threw for 370 yards against the most elite offense in college football and probably a top three, or sorry, defense, and a top three defense all time. Let's not go back. I understand they didn't win the game, and let's not give them the, give them the benefit of the doubt at all, and let's not get like give it to them that they did win, but they didn't. But let us also look and say, that was a heck of a game from Bryce Young. Because you got to understand this. Their defensive line are athletes that weigh 330 plus pounds. Nobody else has guys like that. Nobody. And then their edge rushers all run like four five forties. Bryce Young in the first game against Georgia put up an elite performance against maybe one of the best pass rushers we've ever seen. The only thing that would have made it even more elite was if Will Anderson was on the other side because that boy also, like they said it before the game, Alabama had the two best players they had the best player on each side of football. They had Will Anderson on defense and Bryce Young on offense. Those boys are elite. Bryce Young, if you're hating on him, you are missing out on one of the greatest pocket present quarterbacks we've ever seen in our entire lives, not named Aaron Rodgers. 
He is so elite. His I say this all the time, but his neck's got a 360 degree twist. His head is on a swivel 80 per, like 100% of the time. There's no way to stop him. He knows where every single receiver is in the back of his head and he can get the ball to them at any time. The issue was Georgia just played better defense. Keely Ringo came up big. That pick six at the end, I lost my voice. You could probably hear it a little bit now. That was unreal, unbelievable. I know Dad dropped us a couple a couple plays the other night, and I'm so grateful for it. Because, like, if we're being real, just a look in real quick. It like it still sucks. I'm not gonna make this about me, but like, let me be, let me let me invite you to understand like what this means. The first game that we played the regular season against Clemson was the day of my dad's funeral. And that was just us trying to make it through. And I just prayed and I just wondered like every Saturday was the only thing I looked forward to. And honestly, I don't know what I'm going to have next to look forward to. I hope I find something. I'm sure I will. But it was incredible. It was amazing. It was it was honestly like a big piece of my life. And so this means, I'm sure this means a lot to everybody else who's sick of watching Bama win. To me, it's, this is the whole reason I got into this in the first place. Was to give people a reason to look outside of the crap that the world is. And for three, four hours every week, other than that one unfortunate game against Alabama, I got that. And so I think, I don't know what else to do with my life other than this. And so I think I owe it to everybody, anyone who will listen, anyone who needs it, to entertain, uplift, and distract for as long as y'all need. This meant everything to me, and I'm not even lying to you when... when when Keeley caught that pick, I didn't even watch him run it back because I was on my knees praying and crying. Because I know Dad watched that one. I know he dropped us a couple. Okay. So, I feel like I have to repeat this every single time. But, there's like to me, there's no debate. And we will get into the... Uh, Carson Wentz thing here and, and and as well as with the coaching firings because that's that is a hot hot piece of dumpster fire but I feel like I bring this up every time and it needs to keep being brought up um so big news I told you that there was going to be a vote this last week for them to implement basically an instant change into the contract and the rules making the playoff expand for college football that vote has happened, and they weren't able to set unanimously on it. So, we will be stuck with the four-team playoff for a little while longer. I'm going to tell you why that is and why it's wrong. This is the only, and and the word on the street, the word in, the, in these articles and reports is that it's about money. Now, you're saying to yourself the same thing that I've been saying. Well, if March Madness generates the money that it says it does, then wouldn't this hopefully follow the same trajectory in theory yes but here's what it also does unfortunately 
Okay, so we look at it and we say more playoff games means more money, right? You're technically right. Here's the issue, though. These participation trophies that we're giving out in the form of bowl games bring in a lot of money. We can say what we want about the Idaho State Baton Racone like potato bowl or whatever you want to play in. They do generate money in terms of every single one of those ridiculous names that's attached to a bowl game. Every single one of those letters, characters, whatever you want to call it, represents a certain dollar amount. People put their money into having their name slapped onto things. Okay. Here's the issue. We have, I don't even know how many bowl games. I don't even want to look it up because I know it will make me sad. But let's just say for whatever, let's say we have 40 bowl games. It's probably high, but let's say that that's where we're at. The issue comes in that if we make, so let's say that we do a 12-team playoff. Or let's say 16, just to make things easy mathematically. That means right off the bat, we have eight bowl games that are playoff games, right? Right now we have three, technically. Just okay. Well, let's say just first round. We only have two. If you take those sixteen bowl games and make them all, or eight eight bowl games and make them all playoff games, you now negate the rest of the advertising money because now people, the idea is nobody's watching the rest of these bowl games. And if we're being honest, I don't think anyone's watching them anyway. I'm not watching North Carolina A and T play some FCS school in a bowl game because it doesn't matter, and you don't either. But there are people who do. There's is a low percentage, but it, it's money. Money talks. And so I think their issue is they think if we make more playoff games, there's less money to be had in these other bowl games. Which I can see and understand, even though I don't agree with it. But it, but like I think that's where their perspective is. Because word on the street is, again, it's about money. Now, we won't know but you have to look up and see, is the compensation worth it? Are we going to make more money in eight bold playoff games than we are in X, Y, or Z bowl games that don't mean anything? Because when we get down to it, like I still haven't heard anyone make an argument that the rest of these bowl games mean anything. And in a world where we are supposedly against participation awards and participation trophies, we're handing them out across the board in college football when we say all you have to do is win six games and you get to play a game that means nothing, but it's basically just free exposure because everybody watches bowl games. Because why? Because there's nothing else on. But make no doubt about it. These games mean nothing. It's just a taboo topic that none of us have ever really expressed. And if you do talk about it, everybody just tells you to sit down and shut up and dribble. The, the To me, it doesn't even make sense to argue against college expansion because you're going to say, oh, well, SEC is getting more teams in. Okay, but right now, the amount of teams they're getting in make up 50% of the playoffs. You only have two opportunities to get a non-SEC team in. And there's five power conferences and one, and there's AAC if you want to count that too. At least if you expand it, even if, let's say, somehow by some God-given miracle, the SEC was able to get half the teams in, 
if you make it 12 teams, you still get six non-SEC schools, and there's no way in a 12-team playoff six SEC schools are getting in. Even I, as a man with an, a high SEC bias, am not arguing that. Because there is, there's not that much disparity in college football. There's no valid argument against conference expansion. It doesn't make any sense at all. And you're going to see that more and more. You're going to see more kids say, why would I play in a bowl game? And then you have to look back at that same issue where you're arguing that, well, nobody is watching these bowl games if they're not playoff games. Yeah, well, no one's watching the regular bowl games in the regular college football playoff if the NFL talent's not there. Because tell me one other reason you're going to watch Pitt or Michigan State if Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker aren't there. You're not. That's, like... It's not debatable. You and I can't have an argument about it because you have no feet to stand on. There's nowhere in here do you make a compelling argument that anyone wants to buy, whether it's fiscally, whether it's socially, whether it's logic, common sense. There's no argument to keeping the expansion closed. And on top of that, we have even more issues because now we have college football, free agency. It's running around rampant and it's killing. Do you know what, like, this is what people's issue was when, give me a second. People's issue with the NBA became this. And the Warriors saved it for a little bit. Until some people argue they killed it. But people's gripe People's bone to pick with the NBA came, and you can say whatever you want. I understand the Lakers tried it before, but it didn't work. Two people can do the same thing, but nobody gets mad about it until one person gets really successful at it. If you try something and fail, nobody's saying, oh, well, you tried this and it didn't work. Like, yeah, your punishment's that you failed. Nobody's upset about that. I get that the Lakers tried to do it with Carl Malone and Gary Payton and Kobe. It didn't work. I understand they tried to do it with Steve Nash, an old Steve Nash, and Dwight Howard and Kobe. It didn't work. People's issue has always been people like familiarity and they also like parity. Your issue with college football free agency is the same issue that the NBA and that college basketball has. The issue with the NBA is that people started creating super teams and that people would just get up and leave whenever they wanted. It's this it's it's an issue people had with Brooklyn that James Harden just said, no, I don't want to be here anymore, so he got to go wherever he wanted. There's a reason people don't watch college basketball. It's because there's so much turnover. Yes, the portal works the same in both ways, but here's what it doesn't do. Kids can't go to a professional sports league after one year. There's a reason college basketball is dying. It's because they have none of the talent and none of the commitment. At least in football, your odds of leaving and going somewhere else are less because you can't go to the league after one year. You have to, if you're going to leave anywhere, you have to go to another school. But the thing is, we've already seen how this plays out. If kids can't make commitment to a team, fans can't make a commitment either because they say, well, I don't. why, why would I watch... Duke basketball, Zion's not there anymore, right? Like, people want familiarity, people want comfortability. 
And it survived in college basketball for a while despite the one-year rule. The one-and-done was the murder scene of college basketball. Now, you have teams who come every now and then, like Baylor, who, who, who build a squad. You have teams like the Golden State Warriors who build a team the right way. But I'm telling you right now, and I'm in support of people making money. You're telling if I could go to a college who would pay me fifty grand, I would take it. Let alone the eight figures that Bryce Young is supposedly making, and every single one of you would do the same. But this doesn't work this way in pro sports, mainly because pro sports is a little bit different. In pro sports, there's a team can't tell. A, a Cam Newton, how much money he can make doing the Oikos Greek yogurt commercial. Okay, fair. But there's a salary cap. The problem is with these boosters, there's no salary cap. And kids are going to keep leaving as soon as they hear a bigger check calling. And you're going to have a lot of these kids who get the carpet pulled out from under them when they don't work out. A lot of these kids are going to get exposed. There are a lot of issues coming in college football down the line. And as soon as I, I understand and I agree that there needed to be a way these kids could monetize their value. I like the way that it's set up now that the school can't pay them, but that third parties can. I like it. But chaos, I know chaos seems like equality, but it's not. And things are going to start getting ugly here in about five years. You just watch me now. I'm calling it. I love college football more than anything else in the world, but they got to find a way to get this thing settled down or they're going to run into some serious, serious issues. Okay. So let's do it. Let's go. Let's go look at the NFL because we got playoffs coming up. So I think the two biggest narratives that we can take from Sunday are these. What do the Colts do with Carson Wentz? And then, how the heck did the Steelers get into the playoffs? Because Big Ben had some unfortunate, very loser-ish things to say about entering the playoffs. Um, he, he's already come out and said, where's the quote? Uh, trying to make sense. Uh, yeah, nope. This is trying to make sense of Blind Flores. Ryan. Big Ben essentially said, we have no shot here. Yeah, like before the game even started at media, he said, we have, he said, quote, let's go play and have fun. Now, I don't know if this is some scare tactic, if this is some underdog factor that Nick Saban taught them where you just play like you're the underdog and odds are you come up big. I'm not sure. But here's how the Steelers made it in. That playoff berth was in the AFC was going to go to the Indianapolis Colts. Two weeks ago, all they had to do was beat the Raiders. They couldn't beat the Raiders, so then all they had to do was beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were without a head coach and were in shambles. They showed up clowning Shad Khan, the owner, all the fans did on Sunday. There was no excuse that the Indianapolis Colts, with the best running back in the league, should have lost. Zero excuse fair but they went ahead and lost anyway because why 
because Carson Wentz just flat out isn't that good. There's a reason that we don't draft kids from FCS schools. We just don't. Like, show me another kid who's played quarterback from an FCS school. I get it. If you're bottom FBS or if you're bottom D1, FCS is not the same. And if we're being honest, I I hate to do this because it's almost the chicken and the egg conversation. But it really is legit when you say... Did Carson Wentz get the Eagles to the playoffs in the Super Bowl? Or did the Eagles get the Eagles to the Super Bowl? I understand that Carson Wentz looked really good his rookie year, but so did Deshaun Watson. They both had very, very elite seasons the first year in their career. And Carson Wentz has never been able to replicate that. Deshaun Watson, playing for a team that we know is terrible, has been able to get them to the playoffs and beat the Bills. What does Carson Wentz have going for him? I think we can say this. Look, we tried the Carson Wentz experience. It didn't work. Let's move on. Because when you're out here as a franchise calling around saying, Hey, Philip Rivers, what are you up to these days? That lets me know you don't believe in your starting quarterback. And nor should you. But let's not act like there's a possibility where we walk out of here with the idea that Carson Wentz is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Because he's not. Carson Wentz is... I feel like when I watch Carson Wentz... This is I'm, this is really what I feel. I genuinely feel like sometimes I'm watching Dumb and Dumber. People do stupid things and we watch it and we love it because it's a comedy. We praise it, but we would never applaud those things in real life. Carson Wentz is the exact same way. And if you watch the Raiders game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a highlight they've been playing for weeks, but but Carson Wentz gets continually rewarded for bad behavior. The touchdown he threw to T.Y. in the back of the end zone only came because he had 30 yards to run the ball. Maybe not 30. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Let's give him 15. Still guaranteed first down off play action. Guaranteed, get a 15-yard slide, get the first down. But what does he decide to do? He hails the ball into double coverage on the Oakland Raiders. The ball gets tip-tapped by both Oakland Raiders and T.Y. Hilton is standing in the back of the end zone with his no ACL looking A and catches it. Carson Wentz only threw... Wow. Imagine not being able to type. Carson Wentz threw only seven interceptions this year. And you would say, wow, that's really good. He threw for 27 touchdowns. But he was not elite this year. And in fact, he should have thrown more interceptions. And if you watch the Jack, the, the Colts, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Again, rewarded for bad behavior. Plenty of times he throws the ball into coverages. You, even if you're not a quarterback guy, even me, I didn't even play quarterback in high school or college. I know you don't make that throw. He makes it, and plenty of times guys just don't come down with it. I don't know if he's that bad. The people that even the other team can't catch his passes. Carson Wentz isn't the guy. And the issue is now, it it would be one thing if he was worth it. But when you're in a position where you have a very mediocre starting quarterback, a quarterback who can't win you games when you have 
I don't know if I would say a Super Bowl roster, but I'd say an AFC Championship roster. When you get into situations like that, it's like big investments got to big bring big returns. Here's your return with Carson Wentz. You don't have a first round draft pick or a second round draft pick, and I'm not sure they even have a third round draft pick. They gave up a lot for Carson Wentz. It didn't work out. Carson's not the guy. And if you're a fan of the NFL, you know this. Unless you're Bill Belichick, you usually only have a couple years for a Super Bowl window. Colts defense is elite, and frankly, they were super injured on the back half of the season to the point where they're playing their third-string safety, the bum himself, Andrew Sandejo. I love my white my white boys repping in the secondary, but Sandejo, you're not Harrison Smith, bro. So Colts, you got to get rid of Carson Wentz. Because, and you also need at least one number one receiver because Michael Pittman's not it, T.Y. Hilton's not it, and Paris Campbell, so help me, is also not it. Not that guy. Next thing. Okay, so Indianapolis Colts decided they didn't want to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, so then this is where the maniacal Dr. Strangelove crazy scientist scenario came up. We're all talking about this. What would have to happen for a tie to get two teams into the playoffs? It happened. This It came down to a Raiders-Chargers game that looked like it was over with four minutes left when there was a 15-point lead. And, Car- and Justin Herbert came back like the god he is, put that game into overtime. And then Brandon Staley went ahead and said, Hey, I also like Plaxico Burris, like to shoot myself in the foot by calling that timeout against the Oakland Raiders when the Raiders were probably going to end up running the clock out because they weren't in field goal range. But when you called that timeout, you let them know, hey, we're coming for blood. And they did the exact same thing to you. And that ended up screwing the Chargers out of the playoffs. And you got the Steelers in. Steelers who are so bad, they don't even want to be there to the point where Big Ben said, let's just go out there and have fun. The only These are the only two scenarios I can see. Big Ben just doesn't care to be in the NFL anymore. Or by some weird, twisted, maniacal miracle, Mike Tomlin told him to say that. But to me, that still doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not sure what's going on in Pittsburgh. I think if Tyreek Hill doesn't... uh, I think if Tyreek Hill doesn't have a big game... Because I feel like that's been the the biggest difference with this offense... As far as uh, with this offense is that they don't have the big playability that they usually have. Tyreek hasn't had a 50. Tyreek usually leads the league in 50 plus yard plays. He hasn't had one since week one of this season. And they haven't taken the top. Now, the Chiefs are still elite on offense, but they haven't taken the top off the way they used to. The way they have been. So let me let me read you real quick. Oh, also, just in case anyone knows, anyone anyone's excited about this, the Nickelodeon NFL game will be this week as well. I can't remember which one it is. Um, but if you like that, it's on for you. Okay, so first game we have, we got a doubleheader on Saturday, which again is so exciting when we have NFL on Saturday. So we have Raiders-Bengals. To me, this is a no-brainer. A team with a bad secondary is not finding a way to stop Joe Burrow, 
Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Those boys are going to go off for a lot, and then Joe Mixon is just going to open that whole thing up. So I think that one's Bengals easy. Bills-Patriots is going to be fun because we don't really know what this Patriots team looks like in, in, in the playoffs. Because what do we know about the playoffs? If you don't have big play like experience, if you don't have playoff experience, you're not winning. And let's be frank, like this is a very at least at least on the offensive side, defense is a little different. Patriots offense is super young. And Mac Jones, frankly, has been reliant on the rest of his team. Tom Brady has always been someone who was able to make big throws, elite, accurate throws when it came down to it. And the Bills are not someone you're going to walk over. They're going to be maybe semi-predictable because they don't run the football that well when you have Devin Singletary and the boys back in the backfield. But again, Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. So we're going to get our rubber match, our round three, if you will, for Patriots-Bills on Saturday night, which is going to be super sick. Then we get into Eagles Buccaneers. I don't think there's any even kind of shot the Buccaneers lose this one. To me, it's going to be very like it, this is essentially no. I'm not even going to say it's essentially Washington football team and Buccaneers last year because Taylor Heineke was a god that day, and he will always go down in history in my memory for that. I can't see any way in which the Eagles pull this out, but if they're able to take advantage of a very semi like very lackluster Buccaneers secondary then maybe and then we get like to me which is the most classic matchup out of all of these on Sunday we have 49ers Cowboys which I find so exciting so you have Kyle Shanahan and 49ers who love to just pound the ball down your throat and if you watch the Rams game you know exactly what I'm talking about like that was kind of their mo it was, we're just going to run the ball up the gut, and we're going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then what do they do? They ran the Debo Samuel halfback pass, and it worked out wonderfully. It almost looked like they took that that whole thing from Georgia's playbook against Michigan, but it worked out really well. Again, same thing I said about the Patriots, we're going to say about the Cowboys. The Cowboys team is super young. Like, in terms of their stars, and I wouldn't even know if I'd call Amari Cooper a star. Like, he's a really good football player, but, like, even if we did call him a star, like your stars are really Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. And they don't have a whole lot of playoff experience. So to look at this team and say that, that this is a definite win for the Cowboys is not accurate because Ezekiel Elliott is sucking money from that franchise. He's like when Jay Cutler was in Chicago, just robbing that city of money. Jerry Jones, like, Check your bank account, dude, because Ezekiel Elliott is scamming you. It'll be interesting to see if Trayvon Diggs and Micah Parsons come up big in this game. Because I don't know how there's any way you stop Micah Parsons. I think he's elite and maybe defensive player of the year. But while Trayvon Diggs leads the league in interceptions, he also leads the league in yards given up by a cornerback in coverage. He blows a lot. And then you have uh, this AFC West matchup between the Cardinals and the Rams, which I think is going to be so exciting because both of these quarterbacks have a ton, like a ton to prove. Because Kyler Murray is supposed to be this like dual threat god. 
and while he plays really well in the regular season, he seems to let us down a little bit at the end. I understand D-Hop's still out and a little questionable as to when he'll return. They're hoping they're going to get J.J. Watt back. But Kyler's got to step up. And then on the other side of this, you have the same issue where we thought adding Von Miller to this Rams defense was going to make them the most elite defense, one of which we've only ever, like, ever seen. And I almost feel like Von Miller set off this trigger in everyone else's head where it's like, well, we have more star power, so therefore I have to do less. And that's not the case. And then, again, what do we have? Everybody wants to know, what is Matt Stafford really? Because we used to say, well, it's the Lions' fault that Matt Stafford's not successful. Okay, maybe. I mean, history would tell you that that could be true considering they ruined one of the greatest running backs of all time and then one of the greatest receivers of all time. So it could be true because Matt Stafford has more fourth quarter comebacks than anybody else in NFL history. Matt Stafford's issue is this, though. That boy loves to get cute and he loves to get cheeky. He got a cannon for an arm. But he sometimes loves to put the ball off the back of his own end zone when he throws pick sixes. I almost wonder if you're going to see this game, because Sean McVay is a smart guy, not an idiot by any means. I almost wonder if you're going to see the Rams take a more conservative approach until they have to take a big one. Because I get that you have Cooper Cup, who's the triple crown leader in the NFL. But I just don't know. You got Chandler Jones coming off that left edge, and you might have J.J. Watt coming off the right. And Matt Stafford tends to panic a little bit and ends up putting the ball at the back of his own end zone. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Sean McVay decides to let, like what leash does he give Matt Stafford. It's going to be really fun to see. I'm super excited. Like I love that we have six games this week, two on Saturday, four on Sunday. I love Wild Card Weekend. It almost feels like March Madness for the NFL where you have all of these games that are actually entertaining minus maybe the Chiefs-Steelers one, so we'll see. Um, Just like a little PSA, I want to give John Morant his respect. The Memphis Grizzlies are on a 10-game win streak right now in case you probably didn't know because it's Memphis, it's Tennessee, nobody really cares. But John Morantz, he's averaging 26, 6, and 5. Elite. They beat the Lakers. And every single... They've never had a 10-game win streak ever in franchise history. And the last two times that they went... They had an 8-game win streak. The last two seasons they had an 8-game win streak. One time they went to the conference semifinals. And one time they went to conference finals. So... And also, can we just talk about like... I get Kendrick Perkins saying that he has the ceiling with Michael Jordan, and I don't know if I would go that far because Michael changed the game in a way it had never been put before. But John Morant, like, I don't even like the Russell Westbrook comparisons for John Morant. To me, that's an insult, and I get that we want to say, oh, well, Russell Westbrook back in his career was X, Y, and Z. I've never really been on the Russell Westbrook train, ever. I agree that he's one of the greatest athletic freaks we've ever seen. But when you don't play defense and you don't have a jump shot, I don't understand how you can be considered great. Everybody just kind of pushes you the ball. Like rebounds when you're an athlete and you're that good. 
and everyone's willing to give them to you on your team, like you can get seven, eight easy rebounds a game when everyone knows they're supposed to go to you and everybody else is chucking back the other side of the floor. And again, like he's one of the most elite finishers we've ever seen. But outside of being an athlete, Russell Westbrook is, I don't know. I think he's the reason James Harden and KD didn't win a chip anyway. Like, John Morant is probably the best young player in the league. And and is it, is it, it's crazy, almost obscure to think, like, that was the same class as Zion, right? What if I would have told you this nobody kid, this 6'3", 175-pound kid at a uh, Sumter, South Carolina, zero, like, I, I'm not even finding what kind of star, like, I don't even think he was a starred recruit in high school ends up at Murray state made a lot of really cool highlights, but not maybe necessarily the place people want to see from a guy who they want to see as a star point guard in the NBA. What if I would have told you he's going to be infinitely more successful than Zion Williamson? Yeah. Take a second on that. Cause Zion Williamson so far has given us nothing. And John Morant has given us everything. He's put a Memphis Grizzlies team in the playoffs and he's probably going to take him a couple steps further than that this year. And he's athletic. He's probably, like, to me, his creativity as a basketball player is on par with Patrick Mahomes' creativity as a point guard. Like, he just sees things. He sees the future and existential possibilities in ways that the rest of us don't even comprehend. Because he's that intelligent. Like, he'll throw the ball off the backboard. He'll double clutch overhead passes before he throws them while he's in the air. Like, John Morant is that good. And I just want to give the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant that respect because they deserve it. As far as NFL goes, so there's supposedly been a lot of interest from the Atlanta Hawks to go out and get Ben Simmons. I don't think that makes any sense at all, but I'm just telling you because that's what the word is. I don't think Ben Simmons is worth anything at all. But I also know that Daryl Morey and the 76ers are not stupid. And if you claim, if, if reports are that you're desperate, that means they can drive the price. And so I don't see how the Hawks could even get the 76ers point guard unless they were willing to give up maybe DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish or Cam Reddish another player and a couple draft picks but again at that point I don't think it's worth it because you're already struggling a little bit despite having gone to an Eastern Conference Finals last year and to me I don't think you're playing Ben Simmons and Trey Young at the same time granted they don't do the same things but I do believe they play this a similar role and I just don't know how, like, there's a reason Lou Williams and Trey Young don't play at the same time. Because Lou Will needs to be able to score at will. Trey Young, not as much. Or, sorry, not as much. Yes, as much. And they can't both do it at the same time. And I just don't know. I mean, we saw Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons didn't work out. And Joel Embiid likes to facilitate a little bit, too. So I just don't see how this Atlanta Hawks trade to get Ben Simmons would work and Rich Paul 
had lunch, I believe, with Daryl Morey today, Ben Simmons' agent, and said nothing has changed. So I don't think any of this is going to work out, but there are people who still, for some reason, want a point guard who can't shoot free throws and really doesn't, and is very, very toxic. I mean, how many steps away is Ben Simmons from being Antonio Brown? Let's be real. Um, This is just a last little cute little tidbit that we're going to hit before I bounce out. Uh, Just PSA. NFL MVP is Aaron Rodgers. There's no debate for anyone else. He's the best. People complain about injuries and they sit because of them. Aaron Rodgers has been playing with turf toe all year long. Pat Mahomes claims that's what uh, people want to say. That's what kept him from winning a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has won like 14 games with a messed up toe. So let's talk about what we know about Jim Harbaugh. Supposedly Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be maybe going to interview with the Jacksonville Jaguars because the the head owner of Jacksonville Jaguars graduated from where? University of Michigan, go blue. I don't see Jim Harbaugh leaving only because he just finally beat Ohio State. Like he just kicked, he just got his foot in the door. Now, let's be real about something. Everywhere he's been, he has been successful. So is it ludicrous to think that if he went to the Jaguars, it would be a failure? Yes, that would be ludicrous because he has Travis Etienne. He has Trevor Lawrence. He has honestly a lot of good young players. But from what it looks like more and more from Urban Meyer is he was toxic culture with this team and he couldn't bully people into doing what he wanted. Jim Harbaugh is looking as loose as he ever has. I think Jim Harbaugh, that could him be him beating Ohio State if he were to go to Jacksonville and do what, Jim, what uh, Urban Meyer couldn't. Brian Flores. Brian Flores has been fired by the Miami Dolphins, and everybody's pissed. Everyone wants to say he only got fired because he was black, this, that, and the other. I don't know what the reasons he were fired are because they whatever they are, they don't make any sense. Brian Flores, almost won coach of the year last year. And frankly, from taking a team who won one in seven and then winning seven straight with two attack by low at your quarterback, Brian Flores, you caught a break here. Like sometimes, everybody knows this. Everybody's been the victim of a breakup or a firing from a job that just didn't make any sense. That you had no closure, you had no reason that you should have been let go from that position, and it ended up leading to the best, the next best decision of your life. I worked for a company who went under while I was doing landscaping and. Two weeks later, I am getting a, G, a job in sports broadcasting. So sometimes these things just work out, Brian Flores. People are going to be upset. What I've read is that people are that that they wanted to go in a different direction as far as Tua. Owner loved him, management loved him. Brian Flores did not love Tua, and I'm on that same tree, that same boat. Tua's not the guy. So Brian Flores got a good spot. I hope he ends up in. Honestly, I think Minnesota could be really good for him. Because you have Dalvin, you have Thielen, you have Kirk Cousins, who's not a bad quarterback, and then you got Jay Jettis, and then the defense speaks for itself. Because let's be honest, like if we're looking at the successful hires of the past five years, the guys who came into the league, these young guys, might I add, they're offensive guys. You have Kingsbury, who I think is a very good coach. Sean McVay, obviously. Zach Taylor, obviously, and then you have Andy Reid was hired in 2013, but still, and then you have, well, I can't remember, the, and Kyle Shanahan, obviously, 
Bruce Arians, obviously, and why I can't remember the name of the Matt LaFleur. All of these guys, offensive guys, young, smart, creative, offensive guys. That's the way football's going. That's the reason I don't think Joe Judge worked. And I think it's the I, I think Giants are trying to look back into the past and say, let's go get something comfortable, which is a Bill Belichick coach who knows defense. Brian Flores is the same way, but I think Brian Flores knows offense a lot better than a lot of these other guys. And I and I again, people are gonna be upset that Brian Flores was fired. I think he got a major blessing getting out of that contract, out of that toxic culture where they love them. Some Tua Tango Iloa, and he now gets to go basically get a head coaching job at a team that he can probably change and will have talent on it, which is something that Dan, the Miami Dolphins has ever had. All that being said, everybody enjoy your Thursday, your Friday, your Saturday. Enjoy Wild Card Weekend. It's going to be a good time. Cheers. Cheers.